0: Always good to walk into the pulpit and look out over the audience and see a large group and know that we have a number of visitors with us. We always are thankful for visitors. We're always interested in you. And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to be able to uh, study with you a little bit, to be able to talk with you, because we believe that the Lord's work here at Bobby Branch is one that is worthy of your interest, and we'd love to have you working together with us. If you'll open your Bibles now to the book of Acts chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 19 and we'll go through the end of the chapter as we study our lesson this morning. By way of introduction, I'd like to get your minds thinking in the direction of the lesson that we're going to pursue. I want you to imagine in your mind starting a new business with an exploding growth. In other words, you started a company, and because of it, there are so many people interested in uh, the product that you're selling. Everywhere you go, people are now saying, I've got to have that product. I want it. I want you to remember that as you start the book of Acts in chapter 2 and verse 41, that first day there were 3,000 souls added to them. When you get to chapter 4, verse 4, it says there was now about 5,000 men. You get to chapter 5 in verse 14 and it says there were multitudes both of men and women. You get to Acts chapter 6 and it says the disciples multiplied greatly. Just like a business that just almost just explodes, you can see the beginning of the Lord's church in the book of Acts, that it, it starts out with a large number and is beginning to grow and even exponentially. Of course, if you started a new business and you were doing very well, you would have people who would be jealous and envious of you. You also would have those who would be opposed to you, maybe those who were your competitors because they wanted the people that you were getting. I want you to imagine expanding into new areas. Maybe you start in Tennessee and you grow into the states and then ultimately you begin to ship your products internationally. And your name begins to be known. I was thinking about businesses that today their names are household items. Coca-Cola, Walmart, Apple. Businesses that started out very small, but now are almost in every part of the world. You have to realize that the book of Acts pictures the church as being evangelistic in the sense that it's growing. And I like the way Luke records what happens in Thessalonica. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. The people who have turned the world upside down. Think of the growth of a business, and then, if you will, parallel that to the growth of the Lord's church. But you see, it was a gospel message that didn't just resonate for Jews. As Paul would say when he was writing the Romans, he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1 and verse 16. You think about our carrying God's message into all the world in our generation. Think about carrying the gospel to Nashville, Tennessee. And I know many of you will say, well, the people in Nashville already have a good understanding of the Lord's Church and they have an understanding. But if you are going to go there, you're going to meet many cultures. You're going to meet many backgrounds. And those people need the gospel. But I want you to imagine going to Islamabad, Pakistan. You're going to a Muslim country and trying to preach the gospel there. And those same people still need to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He rose from the dead the third day, and that the blood that He shed cleanses men from their sins. Imagine going to Moscow in Russia, a part of that former Soviet Union, which was atheistic when it was in the communist hands. And think about now trying to speak to people, many of whom were raised under communism, and then now those who are a part of many Eastern Orthodox churches. Or imagine going to Tokyo, Japan, an area where people prize work and and diligence and it's almost as if that's their religion. Many of them having been raised in the Far Eastern religions where they worship their ancestors. But you see in Acts 11, The gospel goes to Antioch of Syria. And I know in our minds, as you're thinking about Antioch of Syria, what is special about it? Well, if you're looking on a map, the country that's at the top of the screen there, that is what is today Turkey. If you'll look to the right, you'll see that area that is written Syria, and you'll see some red. You'll see Antioch right next to Seleucia. That's actually in the southern part of eastern Turkey today. It's a large city. In fact, in Paul's day, it was such a large city that it occupied both sides of the Orontes River. It's a very important place. Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the conversion of these people, the confirmation of them, the cooperation of Paul and Barnabas, and then finally... They're being called Christians first in Antioch. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at verses 19 through 21. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but to the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, or Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now what we learn here is exactly what we learned back in chapter 8 and verse 1 there was a great persecution following the stoning of Stephen. And what happens is everybody who was a Christian at that time just spread out into all of the areas round about except the apostles. And that's exactly what Luke tells us, that Saul was consenting to his death and that a great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria But now we're learning that they didn't just go to Samaria. We learn they're going all the way to Antioch. This is not even in the country of Israel anymore. And the gospel was preached by some unnamed disciples from Cyprus and Cyrene. Wouldn't you love to know their names? But it really doesn't matter. There have been many godly men who have preached the gospel in numerous places. We may never know their names, but the truth is God knows. They're from the island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. They were from Cyrene, which is a city on the northern part of the continent of Africa. You see, these men here, they're not Judeans. But they are going to carry the gospel to people who are Gentiles. And it says they preached the Lord Jesus to these Hellenists or to these Grecians. Who are these Grecians? Who are these Hellenists? Well, in verse 19, they've been only speaking to the Jews, but now they're speaking to them. So I think the implication is very likely that what he's having reference to is to people who were Greek in their culture. And in their background, and there is a variant here, but either way, the emphasis is upon these are Greeks. And it says the hand of the Lord was with them. Wherever they were going, whatever they were doing, however they were preaching, God was working with them. And that's exactly what the Bible says that God will do. You remember Matthew chapter 28, verse 19? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I am with you. When you and I are doing God's work, God is with us, blessing us in what we're accomplishing. And what happened, it says a great number believed and turned to the lord a great number when you start thinking about that great many is a term that jew is often used but here in verse 24 and 26 luke says for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the lord verse 26 and taught a great many people. This is a large city. There's a large number of people. Wanting. Willing to listen. To what they have to say. You see good. Honest hearts are willing to listen. To learn and to turn from their wicked ways. Here the church. That has been established. Are people who have turned to the Lord. And just like at Jerusalem. When you had 3,000 baptized, you've got a great nucleus that begins to start and it's going to spread because, as we will study in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, they're going to start sending out missionaries to to carry the gospel into all the world. Now look with me at verses 22 and 23 and the confirmation of these brethren. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with all purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Now, as you start thinking about the gospel being preached in Antioch, the news of this gets back to Jerusalem. Those apostles are there in Jerusalem and they are encouraged, they're uplifted because the gospel is spreading. Imagine that business that I talked to you about earlier. You're part of a business and now you've started selling in various other countries and what happens? You start hearing the people in Europe are buying the product and they're happy with it and there's growth there. There's a lot of excitement that's going to take place. But once converted, these new disciples need some confirmation. They need some watering, if you will, to use a biblical term. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything or he who waters But God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one shall receive his own labor or own reward according to his own labor. You have brethren there who, after the church has been converted, these people have been converted out of of their religious backgrounds, now they're Christians. You need somebody to come and, and bring them along. Or as to use the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Once you become a Christian, you need to learn how to partake of the Lord's Supper. You need to remember the body and the blood as you eat the bread and the fruit of the vine. You need to understand, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, the importance of giving to be able to support the work of the church. You need to be able to learn how to pray and study and participate by singing as we are a part of this worship of God. But it's not just that. How the church is going to be organized. There needs to be some confirming that's taking place here. When Paul wrote the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3, he said, And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ... To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. We needed Timothy to come and shore you up. Confirm you in what you believe. He said that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed for this. You see Paul was trying to firm up the brethren there. New Christians need encouragement. There will be times when those who are new Christians will be tempted to go back to their former lifestyle. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. There's times when new Christians will have their former friends who will try to allure them back into the lust of the flesh. That's what 2 Peter chapter 2 is all about. You see, Paul is talking about the confirmation or Luke is talking about the confirmation of them now. But now let's look at verses 25 and the first part of verse 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch so that it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now, Barnabas is in Antioch, and Tarsus is going to go north and west to find Paul to come and work with these new Christians. It's possible that Barnabas remembers what Paul's goal was, what his mission was by God. You remember Acts 9, verse 15? But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles." And kings and the children of Israel. Paul was a man chosen by God to carry the gospel of the Gentiles. Verse 27 But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is a man who knows Paul, he knows his talents. He knows his ability, and it's very likely he knows that God-given mission for him to do. And after this, they would become friends and co-workers. In fact, you'll get to Acts 13, and the Holy Spirit will say, Separate from me Barnabas and Saul for a work I've called them to. You'll see the great growth that's going to take place because of these two men's efforts. Working together is valuable. In fact, I want you to listen to Solomon's wisdom as he describes the value of two or more working together. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two may be able to withstand him or can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I could take you through the Bible and provide you numerous examples where God saw the value of teams working together. You can see it in the work of Barnabas and Saul in their missionary journeys. Later, Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark. You can even see it in the Lord sending the disciples out on what we call the limited commission in Matthew chapter 10. He sent them out two by two. We recognize here the value of these two men working together to try to cooperate To build this church. But now, the focus, verse 26. Notice with me very carefully what Luke writes. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This is a special name, it's a unique name, it's a name not used up to this point. In fact, if you're looking in Scripture, you'll notice you don't find this name. And here Luke says this is where the name was first used. Now, some people have said that the name Christian was a derogatory name created by the enemies of the church to describe them as Christians. I don't believe that. I don't believe that primarily because of what Scripture says. I want you to listen to Isaiah 56, verse 5. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Chapter 62, verse 2. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. God is involved in this. And there's a name that honors the founder of the Lord's church. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18? I say unto you, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. These people are going to be known as his followers. And thus, when you get to Acts 26, and Paul is preaching to Agrippa, and he finishes that sermon, Agrippa responds by saying, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul goes on to say, it doesn't matter whether little or much. I wish that you were all together such as I am, except these bonds that I'm wearing. I want you to become a Christian. Or you go to 1 Peter 4, verse 16. And Peter is describing the kind of persecution that the church would endure. And he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him rather glorify God in this matter. In this name, the name Christian, it's that unique name that designates God's people. We're not known by the name of great preachers. We're not Campbellites. We're not Lutherans. We are Christians and Christians only, not hyphenated this or hyphenated that. This is the only name that uniquely identifies one as a follower of Christ. If I call you a Methodist, or I call you a Presbyterian, or I call you a Campbellite, or I call you a Lutheran, none of those names honor he who is the head of the church. And according to Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. So you and I must wear those names proudly. Now, you too can become a simple New Testament Christian. You see, this morning, we're not encouraging you to follow any man. We're not encouraging you to follow any set of doctrines other than what you read in the New Testament scriptures. You can be a simple Christian. That's all you need to do. But in order to do that, you have to do what the people did in Antioch, in Samaria, in Judea, and Jerusalem, and anywhere else that a person has become a Christian, and that is to be converted to Christ. You remember Acts chapter 3, verse 9? Except you're converted. Repent and converted. You've got to realize the importance of of changing your life. In fact, it's described like this in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. We are buried with him in baptism, raised from the, like he was raised from the dead, that we also should walk in newness of life. We die to our sins. We're buried in baptism. We're raised to walk in a newness of life. We become a new creature. The question is, is your heart open to the truth? Is your heart ready to do what you know you ought to do? I'm certain in this audience this morning that we've got young people who need to obey the gospel. We have older people who need to obey the gospel. I don't know what else we could say or needs to be said but if you know what you need to do this morning we're going to beg you to plead with you to do that. If you're one of God's children you're a Christian, you're walking wayward come back and let's pray together. We're going to sing Is Your Heart Right With God? And if you'd like to become a Christian or to be restored would you come as together we stand and sing.